You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. John chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. So when you found your place, let us bow to the Lord before we begin. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your word, such a clear revelation of yourself. As we read in Second Peter chapter 1, it is the more sure word that we have to turn to, better than all of our experience, better than, better than anything in this world has to offer, it is the eternal and unchanging and true word. And so fix this in our hearts as a clear revelation of yourself and May we not deviate from it. May your spirit be our guide and comforter and teacher as we study this morning. Open our eyes to the truth that we may behold in your word wonderful things. We are dependent upon you for all things, and we pray your blessing upon this time in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 15, we're going to read the first 11 verses. <clears throat> I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, so that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my Father's love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Uh, today is, I think, the one for sixth Sunday that we've been looking at this metaphor of the vine and the branches. And we have answered a number of questions as we've worked our way through this. For instance, who are these fruitless branches that are mentioned in verse 2? And we saw that those are the Judas branches, the fake branches that don't produce any fruit because they're not vitally connected to the vine, getting life from the vine. And so they are the false or Judas-type branches. We answer the question, what does it mean to abide is it some mystical experience, some w- system of works that I do through which I kind of keep myself in God's favor or grace and produce fruit? No, that's not what it means to abide. To abide means to remain. And it is as much a promise as it is as a command that those who are connected to the vine remain or stay in the vine because they have the life of the vine in them. And they can't be cut off and they will not perish. And then what can the branch do apart from the vine? The answer to that is nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We cannot live. We cannot bear fruit. We cannot do anything of eternal significance or eternal value. We have nothing to contribute. We can do nothing on our own. We have nothing. We cannot live and we can't bear fruit. And if you were to take a branch and sever it from the vine, it would at once die and stop bearing fruit immediately. Now, that's not going to happen to fruit-bearing vines, branches that have the life of the vine in them because they cannot be cut off. They will not be cut off. They will be pruned, but they're not going to be cut off and severed from the life of the vine. And in all of this, there's one question. Actually, there's a bunch of questions, but there's one we're going to answer today. There's one question that I have not yet answered, and that is, what is the fruit? What is this fruit that we're talking about? 
The whole analogy is about fruit. It's about fruit-bearing branches and branches that bear no fruit, a vine dresser that uh, prunes us so that we may bear more fruit, and it's about the fruit that is borne by the branches as a result of the life of the vine in them. And we even see in the passage a progression in terms of the amount of fruit that is born. In verse 2, it speaks of bearing fruit, and then it speaks of bearing more fruit, and then verse 5 and verse 8 speak of bearing much fruit. So if the vine dresser's purpose in our lives, in our pruning and all that he does, is so that we might bear fruit and bear much fruit and bear more fruit, what is the fruit? What do we mean when we talk about the fruit? Is the fruit things that are visible in our lives? Are they ministries and book deals and conferences that you speak at? Is it the number of converts? Uh, is fruit physical things that you do? Activities and works and churches that you plant and missionary trips that you go on? Is that what is meant by fruit? Or are the fruit more intangible things like character qualities, uh, spiritual realities, spiritual disciplines by which we pursue godliness? Is fruit something that we can measure, that you and I can measure, that I can look at you and say, okay, now you have a lot of fruit and you have a little bit of fruit. And you have really a lot, a lot of fruit. And this person over here, one grape every five years is all he produces. Is it something we can... Lenny thought I was talking about you. Is it something that we can that we can measure in terms of observing it in people's lives and, and be able to quantify it? Or is it more intangible things that we really cannot measure specifically and, and accurately? What is the fruit? Well, that's the question we're going to answer today. And we're also going to look at the end of the branches that do not bear fruit in verse 6. That is the destiny of the fruitless branches. So let's answer this question. What is the fruit that we bear in beginning in verse 5, you will see that Jesus says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now remember the, the point of the analogy is that being connected to the vine, the branches bear much fruit. So it is necessary, as he says, without me you can do nothing. It is necessary that there be a life-giving, vital connection between the vine and the branches because it is in that connection that the branches actually are able to produce fruit. So... First of all, we can say that whatever the fruit is, it is a result of the life in the vine. Whatever the fruit is, it is the result of the life that is in the vine coming into the branches and bearing the fruit. It's not something that can occur. It is not something that can be created apart from a vital connection with the vine. In other words, it is the vine, it was the Lord Jesus Christ, that ultimately produces these fruits in our lives. So what are the fruits? The word fruit occurs... Uh, quite frequently in Scripture. In the Old Testament, the main word for fruit is used over a 100 times. In the New Testament, the word for fruit is used over 70 times. 24 out of the 27 New Testament books mention fruit. Sometimes that word is used in a, in a literal sense to describe actual fruit. For instance, Mark chapter 14, verse 25, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. He's not talking about spiritual realities or spiritual fruit. He's talking about literal fruit. Well, the same word is also used metaphorically or symbolically to picture or to portray uh, actual or metaphor, uh, spiritual fruit, spiritual qualities and spiritual fruit. And we have examples of that in like for John 15. Most of the time, that is how the word is used to describe these spiritual realities, these spiritual qualities. So before we talk about what fruit is, let me give you a few things that fruit is not, because there are things that we tend to we tend to view as fruit. We tend to confuse these things as fruit when they're really not fruit at all. And we want to be careful that we know what true fruit is. But let me first qualify or quantify what false fruit is. Because we don't want to be like people who 
pick up a plastic orange thinking it's a real orange. Have you ever had that happen? You pick up something that is a counterfeit, and you think it's the real thing because it looks so much like the counterfeit. We, we don't want to do that. We want to be people who are able to identify what real fruit is and not be confused with counterfeit or imitation fruit. So let me give you three things that are not fruit that Christians sometimes call fruit. First, outward success. Outward success. Sometimes we look at churches or ministries or people that have a lot of outward success. Sometimes we measure these in terms of numbers or terms of activities or terms of influence. For instance, we look at a church and we say, wow, they've got they've got 10 different campuses and they've got the satellite feed and they've got thousands of people coming there every week, week after week. And and they've got tens of thousands of people that download the podcast of that and the video podcast. And wow, that's a lot of fruit. There's a lot of people involved in that. That's a fruitful ministry. Is that a fruitful ministry? Or we look at outward success and measure it in terms of activities. That's a busy church. I mean, they got nine services every weekend, starting on Friday night and going all the way through past Sunday morning. Nine services, and they got ministries for everything. They got children's ministry and Awana, and they got college ministry and men's ministry and women's ministry and a widow's ministry, and they have a ministry to the homeless and a soup kitchen and a, a clothing and a, and a shelter and and they've got a Bible college and a Bible institute, and they've got classes and conferences, and they do a conference every other weekend. They've always got something going on. They've got niche ministries, niche ministries. They've got ministries for former alcoholics, for former marijuana, marijuana addicts, uh, former prostitutes. They've got a ministry for athletes and a ministry for uh, homeless people, and they've got a ministry, they've got a four-wheeler ministry and a rock climbing ministry and a whitewater rafting ministry, and they have a ministry for preschool moms and a ministry for blonde-headed, left-handed single mothers with three-legged dogs. They have every conceivable niche covered in this church. They've got something going on constantly. Wow, that's a, a busy ministry. It's fruitful. Is that really fruit? Busyness and activity, is that really fruit? Or sometimes we think of fruit as in terms of influence. The pastor is in demand and he speaks at conferences all over the country and all over the world. And every time he writes a book, it's a million copy seller instantly. Uh, he's on every, he's on Fox News Channel and MSNBC and, and he's booked for everything. Everybody wants his opinion on every little thing under the sun. He's influential. Really influential. Is that what fruit is? If the heads of state know the man's name, does that make him a fruitful minister of the gospel? Take the same assumptions and reverse it for just a second. Do you look at ministries that do not have name recognition, that are not big and that are not active, and automatically assume that that indicates a lack of God's blessing or a lack of fruitfulness on that ministry? If you do, then you have made the exact same error, but just in reverse. You actually are assuming that the the presence of great numbers or the presence of massive activities or the presence of influence is itself the fruit that we are called to bear. Whereas numbers are not necessarily fruit. I can prove this to you. The easiest thing in the world to do is to draw a crowd. Do you realize that? The easiest thing in the world to do is draw a crowd. I could fall down in the mall and feign an epileptic fit and draw a crowd. Unless it's at the Bonner Mall. Nobody's ever there. That would just, <laughs> that would just be awkward. But if I mean a mall where people were at, I could fall down and feign an epileptic fit and, and draw a crowd. If I went where people were at. So drawing a crowd is an easy thing to do. Any, any church can, any group of Christians can be involved in activities that dishonor God and do it in the name of God and draw a crowd doing it. So numbers are not necessarily indications of fruitfulness. Nor are activities necessarily indications of fruitfulness. We can be very busy doing things, starting up ministries and being energized in things that God is not at all involved in. Just the presence of activity and busyness is itself not necessarily fruitfulness. Because 
All of the things that I listed in that activity, activity-driven church, all of that stuff can be manufactured and created by men with bad motives and baptized in Christian lingo, and people get involved in it with the best of motivations and yet still not produce any meaningful fruit for the Lord. So, And what about influence? Does influence necessarily mean that that's fruitfulness? What about influence? You realize that oftentimes influence in a community or influence in a nation goes to the person who compromises the most or it can go to the highest bidder. So numbers, activities, influence, these things are not necessarily indications of fruitfulness, nor are those the things that we would call or should be calling fruit. Fruit is something different. Now, that's not to say that there are not seasons and places in which God does these unique things. There are some times when God puts a a selection of branches in an area and he produces a tremendous amount of fruit through those branches in that area for a season. And we see a lot of activities and a lot of influence and a lot of a lot of visible stuff as a result of that. Sometimes that happens, but those are rarities. Sometimes God gives his servants uh, unusual seasons of blessing and productivity that is genuine fruit. And sometimes we can see those things. Uh, like, for instance, Paul. The Apostle Paul was almost single-handedly responsible for spreading the Christian message in the Christian church from Jerusalem as far as Rome went. And if you gave him another five years, he would have went beyond the reach of the Roman Empire all the way past Spain. Almost single-handedly responsible for doing that. Peter preached on one day, 3,000 people got saved and baptized. And under his leadership in the city of Jerusalem, that church grew to almost 5,000 people in a matter of only a couple of months. Spurgeon's writings and his sermons and his commentaries and the, the activities that he was involved in, they boggled the mind. The amount of ministry started by Spurgeon and overseen by Spurgeon is incredible. And his influence in the century since his death has only increased and magnified more than it was actually even while he was alive. And the same could be said of Calvin and Luther and Knox and Jonathan Edwards. These men are tremendous servants of God. But listen, they are the rarity. They're the rarity. They're not the norm. Nor should we think that that is normal and that anybody who doesn't measure up to a Spurgeon or an Edwards or a Calvin or a Luther is somehow below the the norm. These are the men in the kingdom of God that mess up the curve for the rest of us. They are the ones that are just out on the fringe, but the normal work of the kingdom is not those things. It's not the busyness and the activities. A second thing that we should, that we should not equate with fruit is emotions or emotionalism. Emotions and emotionalism. You hear people do this. Man, we had a, we had a great service. I mean, the, the worship band was spot on. And they got done and we were all crying. And then the guy got up front and he told some stories and he, read some scripture verses and we got done and we were all crying and we came to the front and we were all crying and we were filled with joy and tears and man, it was a movement of God and God was doing something that night and man, it bore much fruit. It was a meeting that bore much fruit. Not necessarily. It could be the band that produced the emotions. It could be the speaker that produces the emotions. We don't necessarily know that those things are the work of God. Fruitfulness is something different because some one of those people could come forward filled with crying and tears and leave that meeting and go right back to their pornography that evening. But what is the fruitfulness? Is it emotions and emotionalism? We know what it is. Look, you can go from a a, a tremendous emotional high, uh, experiencing euphoria and and joy and bliss and excitement, and then down to tears, all in the course of a football game. That's that's not fruit. (laughs) Seattle fans, you know what I'm talking about, right? Who, Who just groaned? I mean, I didn't. I'm just saying that you can go from experiencing joy and euphoria and excitement all the way to crying in the course of three hours. That doesn't make, that doesn't mean that what you have experienced is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't blame me. I didn't throw the interception. 
So it's not emotions and it's not emotionalism. And the third thing that it's not, it's not flash in the pan fruit. Um, flash in the pan fruit. I, I am always leery of people who produce great and grand things immediately and overnight. That is not typically how true spiritual fruit is produced. It's not something that, that comes on strong and quickly. Um, sometimes it takes a while for us to be able to tell if the fruit is genuine, lasting fruit produced by the Holy Spirit or whether this is something that is imitated by men and simply produced by a false convert. Let me give you an example. Justin Bieber, Miley Cyrus, Katy Perry. Do you remember when all of those were held up to us as examples of Christians? Right? And we were told that those were actual branches and they had fruitful ministries and these were real believers. And then that happens and then we all sit around afterwards and issue a collective groan as more bad fruit falls off of another yet bad tree. All the while we were assured that these trees were bad trees were actually true branches bearing good fruit. And sometimes we would be well served as Christians just to back the whole celebrity groupie train up for just a second and say, let's wait before we all pile on board and head headlong over the nearest moral cliff. Let's give them a chance to reveal whether this is true, genuine spirituality or not. It took three years for Judas to be revealed. Three years. And how how good was he at imitating fruit? So good that at that final evening with Jesus and his disciples, when he told them, there is a devil among us and there is a traitor at the table, none, not one of the other 11 disciples suspected it was Judas. That is how easy it is to manufacture spiritual fruit and to make it look genuine when it is a fabrication, a complete imitation and a counterfeit. So skillful was Judas at imitating that fruit that none of them suspected that he was a thief and none of them suspected that he was a traitor. So let's give people some time. Most fruit is not, the true genuine spiritual fruit is not produced overnight. It's not the grand things that somebody does the day after they get saved. True spiritual fruit takes time and you need to grow and mature and be pruned and be cut and grow and mature and be pruned and be cut and grow and mature and be pruned and cut. These things take time. They don't happen overnight. They don't happen overnight. So what do we mean then when we talk about fruit? If we're not talking about outward success, numbers, activities, influence. If we're not talking about emotions and emotionalism and things that we, we feel in the here and now. And if we're not talking about flash in the pan accomplishments that happen overnight and then dwindle away. What do we mean when we talk about real spiritual fruit? Well, let me give you some examples of real spiritual fruit. and We would have to begin where it would be most logical for us to begin. Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. And that's a a logical place for us to begin for a couple of different reasons. I'm not asking you to turn there. You can stay in John 15. We'll be back here in just a moment. In Galatians chapter 5, that is the, the listed as the fruit of the Spirit. And in that context, the Apostle Paul says that when we walk in the Spirit, we do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And the fruit of the Spirit given in verses 22 and 23 is this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And that is contrasted with a list of the deeds of the flesh which are given just prior in the, to those verses where the Apostle Paul says that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Fornication, idolatry, and adultery, and greed, and covetousness, and lasciviousness, and carousing, and drunkenness, and outbursts of anger, and fits of envy. Those things characterize those who walk in the flesh, who are of the flesh. Those things actually characterize False branches, those things characterize unbelievers. But the one who walks in the Spirit does not practice those things. Instead, he is led by the Spirit, and he walks in the Spirit, and he manifests the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are those qualities and traits which characterize 
the deeds and activities done by true believers, they are those things which characterize the character and the heart and the attitude and the demeanor and the person who is indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now, if the Spirit of God dwells in us as Christians, and if it is the goal of the vine dresser to produce in us fruit, then we ought to expect that the Spirit of God is going to produce in the true Christian, in the true branch, the very fruits that we have mentioned it. And those are those characteristics are the qualities of conduct and the qualities of the lifestyle of a true Christian. It's Christ-likeness. Those things define and describe Christ-likeness. What does it mean to be like Jesus Christ? You just read it, all of those nine qualities. That's what it means to be like Christ. And the goal of the Spirit of God in the life of the branch is to produce Christ-likeness. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. So what the Father is doing as the vine dresser is He is cutting off the false branches. And to us, He is pruning us and cutting us so that we might produce these qualities. There's another thing that is called true fruit in Scripture, and it is pure conduct. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9-12. through 12. Paul writes, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And in that passage, Paul describes us bearing fruit. He wants us to bear fruit in the true knowledge of Christ. And what does that fruit look like? He, just, he says it is being strengthened with all power according to His might for the attaining of steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father. So we have steadfastness, which is very like, much like faithfulness, and patience and joy starting to sound a lot like the fruit of the Spirit, is it not? This is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So when we have a lifestyle that pleases the Lord Jesus Christ, that's fruit. That's fruit. It is living in a way that is honoring to Him, being steadfast in our faith, joyously giving thanks to Him in all things. That is the fruit of a true branch. Another one is thankfulness. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. Thankfulness. A thankfulness to God for the blessings we have received, for the life that we have, eternal life, for forgiveness of sins, all the spiritual blessings we have received, an inheritance in heaven, an eternity with Him, the indwelling Holy Spirit. All of those things are things for which we give God thanks. And thankfulness, which is the fruit of our lips, is something that hangs on the branches that are connected to the vine. They say, but an unbeliever can be thankful too, can't they? They can. Do unbelievers celebrate Thanksgiving? Yeah, they eat turkey and take the day off and watch football just like the rest of us. Believers that do those things. So an unbeliever can celebrate Thanksgiving. But the, the thankfulness of a believer is different from the thankfulness of an unbeliever in at least two ways. First, the thankfulness of a believer has a different origin. The thankfulness in a believer, the thankful that, thankfulness that hangs on the fruit of a branch, is a thankfulness that is birthed as a result of a regenerated heart and the Spirit of God in us, who makes us to see all that we do deserve and all that we have not gotten of what we deserve. And that thankfulness is birthed in the heart of the, of the child of God and it is directed towards God. Not only is its origin different, but its direction is different. An unbeliever doesn't know who to thank for his blessings. But a child of God does. A child of God's thankfulness is Godward. It goes to God. It issues forth in a heart that has been regenerated and indwelt by the Spirit of God and it is directed Godward for it sees all that it has and all that it has received and all that happens as coming from the hand of God. Every affliction... Every trial, every 
blessing, every good thing comes from the hand of God. And so the child of God has to give thanks to his name and to him. That's what Hebrews says. Hebrews says, if we offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. So the origin of that thankfulness is different and the direction of that thankfulness is different. An unbeliever has no one to thank. I had fun with my brother-in-law a couple of years back. Um, he's an atheist. And so I sent him a private message on, th- on Canadian Thanksgiving. And I, it said something like this, Happy Canadian Thanksgiving to you, if indeed you do celebrate Thanksgiving still. Since you're an atheist, I know that you have really no one to thank for anything that you have. And in fact, all that you have that you might think is a blessing is nothing more than the product of random chance and natural processes and the random collision of molecules and even that feeling of thankfulness and gratitude that you might have in your heart for anything that you might call a blessing is nothing more than the result of uncontrolled and uncontrollable chemical reactions in your brain that that are firing there and, and the whole idea of thankfulness is an illusion to you. But happy Thanksgiving anyway. Something like that. It was really snarky. But he received it well and he got the point. He had nobody to thank. But he, he feels that gratitude but he has nowhere to direct it. And so it's all horizontal. And I told him he might thank chance or thank evolution, or thank whatever conditioning has brought you to this point where you think you have a blessing that you might want to be thankful for. But as Christians, for us, for believers, it is birthed in the heart of a child of God by the Spirit of God, and it goes Godward. It's not primarily a horizontal thankfulness. It's a vertical thankfulness that recognizes God as the giver of every gift and the one from whose hand all things come, even difficulties and lean seasons, even trials and suffering or a gift from his hand, and he gives thanks to his name. An unbeliever will sometimes be thankful for something difficult, but only if they can point to something in their life that is good as a result of what was difficult, right? I thank my, I thank, I'm thankful for the cancer, because if it weren't for the cancer, I wouldn't have been to the hospital for the chemo treatment, and I wouldn't have met my wife, who was a nurse at the hospital. So I'm thankful for the cancer, because by, because of that, I met my wife. That's, that's how unbelievers think of thankfulness. Saying, I'd be grateful for this, only if it produced something that I view as better than the affliction. But a Christian says, I will thank God for this affliction even if I see in this life nothing good come out of it because I believe that it has come to me from the hand of God and for that reason I can be thankful and I can direct my thanks to God. So that's thankfulness. That's another fruit. And there are other references to fruit. Converts to the gospel. Uh, helping those in need. Philippians 4:17. Not that I seek the gift itself, Paul says, but I seek for the profit. That actually is the word for fruit. I seek for the profit that increases to your account. And the Philippians had sent Paul a gift for his ministry on more than one occasion. And Paul says, I'm thankful for that. And, and I'm eager to see the fruit that abundantly uh, increases to your account. There's fruit in the giving. And what they saw as a result of the giving, uh, Paul saw the giving itself as fruit. And also that would result from the giving being fruit for the Philippians account. He called the gift, the financial gift of the Macedonians to help other people in need. In Romans chapter 15, verse 28, he calls that fruit. He says, when I have finished this, and have put my seal on that fruit of theirs, speaking of the gifts that the Macedonians had given to help the needy saints in Jerusalem, he said that was the fruit. So whenever you and I think more of somebody else than we do of ourselves, and we give of our time, our talents, and our treasures to alleviate a need, or to express compassion, or to share in all good things with other people, that is the fruitfulness of the gospel. What is it that produces that in the heart of a Christian? That is the Spirit of God that produces that fruit. Converts to the gospel are considered fruit. John chapter 4, Jesus speaks of the fields being white unto harvest and the workers going out and gathering fruit for eternal life. So people converted to the gospel as a result of our giving, our praying, and our evangelism, that in itself is fruit. And there's fruit of repentance, Luke chapter 3, where John the Baptist says, Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. 
What is repentance? Repentance is the sovereign, gracious act of God whereby He turns a sinner from their sin so that there is a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of direction. And that changing of their direction and their orientation towards sin results in a changed life. And when God does that work of granting repentance and turning a sinner from their sin, that will manifest itself in deeds in keeping with repentance. What would you expect to see in the life of somebody who is going one direction and turns around, has been granted repentance, and goes the polar opposite direction? You would expect to see a change of lifestyle and a change of mind, a change of orientation regarding sin. And one of the the quickest manifestations of that changed orientation is what John the Baptist identifies there. Do not say we have Abraham as our father. In other words, stop trusting in your outward righteousness and all of your self-righteousness for salvation. Do not trust in other people for salvation. If you have a change of heart and a change of mind which changes your orientation towards sin, you will abandon all hopes at self-righteousness and flee from the wrath to come, which is what John the Baptist was warning them about. And then there are other references to fruit. Ephesians 5.9, the fruit of light. Philippians 1.11, the fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12.11, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Philippians 1.22, Paul, uh, Paul mentions fruitful labor. There are other fruits, the ones that we mentioned or read about in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and following. For this reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If these qualities are yours, you will be neither useless nor unfruitful. And so Peter says, make your calling and election sure. And strive and be diligent to present yourself before God with these, with these qualities, because these are the qualities of fruitfulness. Now, everything I've described up to this point, that's nothing like what I said was not fruit at the beginning, is it? Right? The busyness, the activities, the outward success. We should say the outward success and the flash-in-the-pan fruit and the emotions and the emotionalism. These things are mostly under the radar. Everything I've given to you, the fruits of the Spirit, compassion and joy and thankfulness. It's not the stuff that the world notices. The world looks for the sensational headlines, the things that catch people's attention, the things that that draw a crowd. That's what the world associates with success and fruitfulness, but not in the kingdom of God. The wife who, who loves her husband and serves her kids and spends all day doing that is not going to be featured on the Hannity program. It's not going to be on Fox News. The husband who loves his wife and leads his family is not going to make headlines. The one who experiences trials and tribulations and suffering and gives thanks to God in the midst of those, that's genuine fruit. But listen, that's not going to make the front page of any news website. The world doesn't notice those things. Those are the things that are fruitful. Those, those are the things that the vine produces in the branches. These are the things that hang off of us. It's different than what the world expects. Radically different. What we typically think of as fruit is not fruit at all. It's just imitation fruit. These are genuine fruits. These are genuine fruits. I think, I've been thinking all this week about the family that we support, the Hunts. If you know the story of the Hunts, they went to Paraguay to translate the scriptures into the Manhui language. And Kootenai Community Church has been supporting them since before I came here, and that was a long time ago. And that family went to the, went out to that tribe, and they just sat by the fire with these tribal people who were half naked and had never slept indoors. They, they kept the shelters up to store their stuff in, and they all slept outside because they wanted to preserve their stuff. And they didn't know the language. They didn't know a single word of Manhui, and they wanted to translate the Bible into the Manhui language. So the hunts went there, and they sat, and for years, they just sat and listened to the Manhui people, and they made notes, and they wrote down words and actions and what those things might mean. Then they took the time to create an alphabet for the Manhui people because they had no written language. 
to create an alphabet. And then they began to use that alphabet to construct the words for their language. And then they took those words and began to try and speak to them and learn the language. And once they learned it, then they began to translate the scriptures into the Manhui language for the Manhui people. And after seven or eight, ten years, something like that, if you had gone and asked them, do you have a single convert to show for your work? You know what they would have said? Not one. Not one. Maybe after 15 years, had a couple of converts. You know where they're at today? They got their children and their grandchildren on the mission field. <clears throat> and this summer, they will have the complete New Testament in Manui. And they have started a church, and they have raised up leaders, and they are converts, and that Manui church is sending out missionaries to win other tribes for Christ. Seven years, and you wouldn't have seen any fruit from those people. Or would you have? You wouldn't have seen any fruit. But was the fruit there? It was. In spades, it was there. But stuff like that doesn't catch the attention of the world, does it? But it catches the attention of God because that's fruitfulness. That's genuine fruitfulness. Are they going to go down in history? Or is everybody in the world going to know about them when they die? No. Just a few people will. But that's genuine fruitfulness. That's the fruit that God produces on the vine, on the branches. They're attached to the vine, which the vine itself is actually doing the work. Now, can, can true fruit be imitated? Can it be counterfeited? Yes, it can be counterfeited. It can be counterfeited quite convincingly and quite well. Judas did it. Judas did it. Uh, fruit, counterfeiting fruit happens overnight, and counterfeiting fruit is easy. That's why unbelievers can get away with it. That's why Judas got away with it. It's easy. But just the, the, the presence of imitation fruit and counterfeit fruit does nothing to undermine the reality of the genuine fruit that hangs from the genuine branches. And though there are false branches that produce fake fruit that are attached to the vine constantly in every age, the vine dresser himself knows which vines are fake and which fruit is fake. And he can cut them off and he severs them from the vine for the help of all of the other branches. But he knows and he will reward the true branches that produce the true fruit. Now you might say to yourself, Jim, this sounds like you're, this is a lot of work. I've got to produce this, I've got to produce all of this fruit myself. I mean, you give me all these character qualities and the fruit of the Spirit, and I've been working on that. I've, I've said to myself, I'm going to be more joyful if it kills me, and I just cannot seem to produce this fruit in my life. The, the fruit itself is not only the result of our effort. Do we labor and strive and be diligent and pursue godliness and discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness? We do those things, but in doing those things, I don't do those things because I want to be saved. I do those things because I am saved, and I do those things understanding that apart from Him I can do nothing. So I do labor and strive and pursue these things. That's the human side of sanctification, pursuing godliness and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. But at the same time, I understand I can't produce anything apart from Him. So apart from Him, I can do nothing. But with Him, He produces these fruits in my life. So there is a cooperation between the Lord and I, only in the sense that in my laboring and striving, I am looking to Him to produce in me those things that He says he wants to produce in me. So now that I know what the fruit is, I can cooperate with the Spirit of God in producing those things in my life. And I can yield to the knife of the vine dresser, and I cannot resist that or resent it when he prunes things in my life. And I can seek to have these things manifested in my life. And I can pray toward that end and ask the vine dresser to produce these things in me. Ask him to prune me so that these things might be manifested. And in doing so, then I am promised in Second Peter chapter 1 that I will never stumble and that Abundant entrance into the kingdom of Christ will be provided to me. Why? Because I'm a true branch. So what is the end then? And I promised you we would finish this up and we will. What is the end of the branches that produce no fruit? 
Look at verse 6. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, remember we translate that remain, if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Remember the remaining is not our doing. As we've talked about what it means to abide and to remain, that remaining is the remaining is the result of the life of the vine in the branches. We remain in him or stay in him because we are connected and we are the true branches. We are not cut off. We will never perish. If verse 6 sounds like it is a threat of eternal judgment, it is because it is. Now go back to the analogy of the vine dresser and the branches. He, the vine dresser in the vineyard would cut off all of the branches that did not produce fruit because they weren't vitally connected to the vine. So he'd cut those branches off and they would fall down next to the vine and then they would gather them up and throw them aside onto a pile. And there they would dry out. And then you know what they did with them? All they could do was burn them. They didn't burn them in their homes. They didn't burn them in their ovens or stoves because they were, those branches were useless for anything to produce heat. They produced a lot of light. They, they burned, they burned up quickly and produced a lot of ash. So they are branches that are, were useless on the vine because they didn't produce any fruit and they are useless even after they are cut off. The only thing that they are fit for is to be thrown onto a fire and burned and gotten rid of. And if that sounds like a threat of judgment, it is because it is a threat of judgment. It is actually a description of the judgment that faces all unbelievers and hypocrites. All those who, who cling on to the kingdom of Christ, the hangers-on, who are not really connected to the Lord whatsoever. They have no true life and they produce no fruit. But they're very close to the vine and they hang on and they want to look like the vine. But they've never really repented of their sin and trusted Christ for salvation. They do not really have eternal life. They will be cut off. They will be removed. They will be dried up. They will be cast aside. But these are not true branches. The true branches are not cut off. That's the promise of the analogy. They're pruned. True branches are pruned, not severed from the vine. They're pruned so that they may bear more fruit. The ones that are severed from the vine are cast away and they are burned. This passage is an encouragement of confidence to all true believers and it is a warning to every false believer, every hypocrite, and every fake. Do not play games with Jesus Christ because he is not playing games with you. Examine yourself to see if you be in the faith. See if you really are. Do these fruits abide in you? Do these fruits hang on you? If they do not, you have no confidence whatsoever to think that you are saved. No reason to rest in any kind of assurance. But if they do, then you can be assured of this, that you will never stumble. An abundant entrance into the kingdom of Christ and of our God will be provided to you. That's Peter's promise. So let's bow our heads. Our gracious God, we thank you for the assurance that you give in your word to those who bear the fruits and the evidences of eternal life and the grace of Christ in their lives. We do pray, Father, that verse 6 may not describe ever anybody who is here, anybody who hears these words or hears the, the words of this text. May you cut off from amongst us all false branches and fake branches or bring them to a knowledge of the truth so that they may abide and remain in Jesus Christ and bear fruit. We pray that you would grant to your people that precious promise and grace of assurance by the Holy Spirit through the work of your Spirit as a result of seeing the fruit in our lives. And we pray that you would continue to abundantly prune us so that we may be bear more fruit. May we bear fruit in order that Jesus Christ may be glorified in and through his church and receive the full reward for his suffering. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for your grace. And may you continue to work in and through your church and in us as you produce fruit in us, fruit which will last for all of eternity. May it abide and may it remain and may it bear eternal fruit. May you be glorified in your church, we pray, not only this day, 
but also forevermore. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.